Yeah, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective, brought to you by Heavy On Sports. I'm Adam Taylor, and sitting next to me is the legend, the man, the myth, Mr. Keith Smith. How's it going today, Keith? Good. I don't know about the myth. I'm pretty real. I, I, I think people know I exist. I'm, I'm not. I like think there's foot. parts of the world where your name spoke in hushed tones of genius. Oh man, I hope not. I I hope in nice ways, like like with reverence. I, and I all said all genius. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> Not, not like Voldemort, where they say my name and I'll appear and it'll, it'll go all sideways on everybody. But it's what probably do you, do like in a math class, right? Yeah, uh, probably could be. And they're like, you guys... go on, what? sorry. No, no, go ahead. It's just, I can just imagine the teacher being like, do you want to be like Keith Smith? Then you need to get this algebra down. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. If only they knew I was not, uh, not the best math student back in the day. It's, oh, don't uh, break their dreams, man. <laughs> simple addition and subtraction is plenty for me. Uh, you guys have like a bigfoot in england like 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 we have bigfoot here is there like a... no we have like a big cat thing where there's oh, like yeah. that there's a lot of people that believe there's because here there's no like big animals right sure like, i think a badger is probably the thing the, the thing you really don't want to come across yeah. here because they're just fast and vicious yeah but there's a big cat thing like there's always sightings of this panther looking thing just like <laughs> and there's a few of them and there was a video last year where a guy was walking his dog and just a lion cub was just in the field. And it was that's like crazy. a legit, and like it's on TikTok, <laughs> it's a legit lion cub. And he's like, dude, if that's the cub, then the mommy's close. Yeah, it's got to be nearby. Yeah. And he's great. like trying to hightail it out of there. So we've got a big <laughs> cat crazy. thing, but no Bigfoot. What makes I, mean, sure I know you've got the Loch Ness monster in, in, in the collective, <laughs> right? So that, that exists. But yeah. I, I just yeah, that's that. a good point. Well, there it is, everybody. There's your cryptozoology lesson for the day. Thanks for tuning in to Celtics Collective. We'll see you next time. <laughs> I've got some ideas of Bigfoot in basketball terms, but we can save that for another time. Well, uh, Stephen Adams, right? There it is. We, we solved that. <laughs> that's, the, yeah, that's more like the Yeti. Yeah, true, true. Good point. He's got that long hair and that big, <laughs> yeah. burly frame. Good to point. be honest, he's one of my favorite people to watch sound bites on. He's the best. <laughs> So talking to people I like, I like there's quite a few players in the NBA I like. There's one very specific player in the NBA I have no time of day for. Uh-oh. And that's Trey Young. I just can see it. I, I get it. There's a, a bit of a bravado, some braggadocious kind of swagger to him, and that appeals to certain people. For me, I'm just like, no, I want no part of this guy. Um and then when you see him the way he plays offensively, he's great. But defensively, I mean, I put a clip out on Twitter earlier where I just think he's so bad and it must be so frustrating. And then like, and I'm using this to segue us into the first topic where we talk Hawks, but man, I just dislike the guy. I, like, and I'm, I'm not saying that as a personal level. I'm just saying from what is portrayed during games, I don't know him to dislike him personally. Sure. Yeah, it's in, in. I think with all this stuff, unless you specifically call out a reason, you dislike them as a person. I, it's always like sports dislike, right? Yeah. Really, like it's, which is a very different thing, you know, to me than than true dislike. Um, I, it's, I actually like him from afar. Um, I would not want to cover him game to game. I, I would find it very frustrating. Um, <laughs> just the you know complete lack of effort defensive iq defensive skill like that would drive me absolutely crazy like i would lose my mind i think on a very very regular basis um now i thought brian scalabrini in the game 
brought up a really good point, or maybe it was Sean Grandy, but they talked it, the two of them. Can't remember who brought it up, but was like Brad Stevens built a top defense with Isaiah Thomas on that team by scheming around him. And it's like they, they, they were a little bewildered, like how have the Hawks not been able to put that together too. And that that is a little odd that they haven't been able to really crack the code on that. The one year they kind of played some defense, they made it to the East Finals. And every other year since then, it's just been kind of bad. So I, I get it. I thought in this game against the Celtics specifically, he had some real just bewildering defensive decisions. There was a play where Derek White, came up pretty standard Celtics set. Uh, Derek White gets the ball, brings it up right, right down the middle of the floor. Jason Tatum sets a ball screen for him, at, you know, above the arc. And Trey Young went with Derek White with two on the ball and left Jason Tatum literally as open as he's probably ever been in his NBA career at the arc. And it was just like, what are you doing? Like, like that's even, even if they have to come scramble you out of it, that's an automatic switch. You cannot leave Jason Tatum to put two on the ball with Derek White. Like that just, and I love Derek White. Don't get me wrong, but like, and that was just one of those things where there's no way that's coached. There's no way that was scheme. That was complete freelance, just lack of understanding personnel and time and score and all that stuff. So, you know, that said, I mean, he dropped in, what, like 35 points. He had 13 assists. I thought the one thing the Celtics did really well with him was they started letting him uh, – I don't want to say letting because it wasn't like they just, you know, gave up, but they were – encouraging him to shoot and try to score more because he was carving them up early in the game with assists yeah. and he was fine and picking out all sorts of guys and all, you know, everything else. And then even though I know the Hawks kind of got it going in the fourth quarter for a while and made it a closer game than it probably should have been, but he was, it started turning into the Trey Young show. And I think Boston for years now, going back to Brad Stevens under Ime under Missoula, they're pretty content if one dude wants to do it all because then it's all right, we'll lock in on everybody else. You play, you know, yourself out there and do your thing and we'll figure it out. So it's uh yeah, it was just, just a little bit messy from that standpoint. I was watching the Hawks stream today because um I took I unplugged from basketball for a few for a proper just under two days. And one of the I like Bob Rathburn. Um I think he's a he's really good, good really yeah. good play by play guy. And one of the things that kind of struck me was how he was talking about the way the Celtics have become this team that's reliably consistent, well, consistent can consistently be relied upon to give up a lead. So as the Hawks are like down coming into the third, he's like, it's okay. You're playing the Celtics. They're going to give you a run. And they've done it consistently over the last few weeks. Lo and behold, you come to the fourth quarter there's that run, right? Yeah. And as you said, like, you know, it's all well and good. Let, let Trey go off. I've always been the same with Embiid and the superstars. If you just let them score their 40, 40 is not enough to beat you as a collective. It's fine. But what I found was it feels to me like the Celtics are much more happy with you taking, like, they, they don't want they don't want to run you off the line anymore and like because there's no one at the backside to rotate over now. So they're sinking in a little bit and then asking you to kind of penetrate and then they'll pinch. And that's that seems to me like a, a bit of an issue considering the amount of scoring wings that are in the league at the moment and guards that can beat you off that dribble. If you let somebody like take that step out of the inside the perimeter and then 
try and beat you off the dribble. Nine times out of ten, they're going to be able to do that. Unless you've got Marcus Smart on them or you've got uh, Derek White on them, it's going to be really easy for them to find pockets. And I, I just felt like there was too many times where it was very easy to break down that first line of defence in Boston, uh, against Boston. And that led me to start kind of comparing the Ime Udoka defence with the Joe Mazzula defence, which Rathburn turned around and said, like, the Celtics as constructed now are a far worse playoff team than the Celtics that were constructed last season. And I didn't agree with that, yeah. but I do think there's concerns defensively that could become problematic once the, once it becomes more of a half-court game. I, I agree with you that there are things that could be. I think when they're whole, if Rob is even somewhat a Rob, and I know we spent a lot of time on this last episode, so go back and listen to that. We're not going to rehash that whole thing here. But I think they can get back to being that same group, but Marcus Smart's just not as good this year. He still makes yeah. the highlight defensive player of the year plays, but it's the, it's kind of to use a football term that every down consistency, he's just not that guy right now. And, and maybe it's just, he's older. He's maybe he's banged up. You know, maybe it's just a, you know, some total of his career. He brought it, you know, to the best level he's ever brought it last season. And it just isn't quite there now. Maybe part of it is it's March. And why am I going to do it now when I know I need to do it two months from now in the playoffs? So that I'm also, or a month from now, rather. Um, I'm, I'm not going to freak out too much about that. I will say one thing I noticed, and it did stand out in this Hawks game, is they have historically done that kind of pack it in stuff when they go to those small lineups, whether it's Horford's the only big on the floor or Rob or Grant, whoever it is, if they're playing one big, how they protect that one big is, all right, beat us. You'll be beat us to the dribble and get to the paint. And if you want to pitch it outside, it's there. What I noticed very different, and I've noticed it at times, but it really stood out in this Hawks game. The guys are not recovering out to the shooters the way they used to. It used to be come out high and come out hard. Um, that was part of the reason why they had for years and years, I mean, a decade of being the top three-point defensive team in the league in the aggregate, right? They weren't always number one, but if you looked at over a 10-year-plus window, they were always in the top 10. And that's a stat that is the team might finish first this year and 25th next year because a lot of it's just luck. But part of why they were there was they closed out high and they closed out hard. Now they're getting out there a little late. You saw it with Jalen Brown. We can argue, did Jalen Brown really foul? I believe it was DeAndre Hunter um, on that one shot and they got a four-point play. Maybe not, but it was he was still late. And that's part of why it got called. So I think, and that's and it, I'm picking on Brown there, but it's all of them. It's all of them across the board. How many times have we seen Al Horford come out this year and then he pretty regularly picks up what either end up reviewed and called flagrant fouls or maybe should be because he's just a little late getting out to the shooter. Yeah. Uh, Tatum, same thing. He's a little late getting out to those shooters. So that's the one defensive drop-off I've seen beyond the one that super stands out, which is the switch everything one through five, suffocate ball handlers. There's nothing. And we're going to force two or three, you know, 24 second violations are really close each half. And it's just going to be, there's nothing you can do at times that hasn't been there this year, but that I think everybody knows, right? Cause you just don't see that. I think the closing out to shooters one, that one maybe doesn't stand out quite as much, but it's something that's jumped out to me really more so since the, let's say right around the first of the year 
um, I don't want to say it's an all-star break thing, but right around the first of the year is when I noticed like, huh, I wonder if these guys are kind of turning on a little bit of a, let's conserve some for, you know, April, May, and June versus I'm not going to run all the way out to, you know, DeAndre Hunter as hard and as high as I can to get out on him. So, or maybe they're all just uh, adopting the Cornette contest and they're just going to do, do that over and over and over again. I don't know. If you can win a championship with the Cornet contest, I'll eat my hat. <laughs> and this is a hard hat, so I don't want to eat it. I will say it feels like a bit of I cannot anti- wait now. In game seven, he's going to pull it out, and they're going to win a title because of that missed shot. And then we're going to come back here the next morning, and you're going to eat that hat with ketchup or whatever it is you want. You, We'll make a deal. You put whatever condiments you need on it. But you're going to eat a half when Cornette wins the title with a Cornette. Contest. That's fine. I'm going to pay for it. If, if they get to the finals, I'm going to pay for a licorice <laughs> version just and then hot sauce so I don't taste the licorice. Um, or sugar paper. Do you remember sugar paper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get yeah. a sugar paper hat. We can make it happen. Um, I think that it's definitely an anticipation thing, though. Like, if you're late, consistently late, then you're not anticipating the kick out. Yeah. And I that could that. be – pardon? I agree with that. I'm with yeah. you on that. And that could be communication. It could be lack of preparation. Or as you said, it could just be we're conserving some energy, a little bit of uh, passiveness, really, because you know that the kickout's coming. You just, you whatever, we feel like we feel like we can score more than you. And that's the team that we saw at the start of the year, right, was you might keep up with us. like You might be able to penetrate our defense, but you're never going to score as much as us. And that's where the the... To me, that's where the defensive deficiencies really began because they were outscoring teams. They didn't need to shut you down. And when you come to more of a half-court game and the playoffs comes, that's not really going to be there. Now, luckily, this is one of the most experienced units in the league when it comes to playoff games. They've been going deep for years, so I'm not too concerned. But it was just interesting listening to Rathburn be like, hey, the, the defense they ran last year versus the defense they run this year, one was definitely playoff designed and one really isn't. And if you look at the way Missoula's done their defense, they've gone one through five in switching. They switch one through four and put the five man in drop. Then they'll play the five guy up to touch. I don't think he's settled on what he believes is the best defense for this team right now. I think part of it is he hasn't had the personnel consistency yeah. like Ime had. Right. He he had the same five guys, not every game, but pretty close. Right. They, they had a really good run of health uh, last year, especially with that starting group uh, until obviously late in the season. Right around now was right around a year ago when Rob got hurt. So I think what we're really looking at with it, too, is because I'll also throw in they've done. I call it the Romer defense, especially with yeah. Rob, where it's just stash him on whoever the opponent's weakest spot up shooter is and let him just kind of half defend that guy. And part of that, though, is trusting that Rob is quick enough to get back. This was something they loved to use against P.J. Tucker. And it was, all right, hey, if Rob's late on a couple and we lose because P.J. Tucker hits a bunch of three-pointers, so be it, you tip your cap and you move on. This is one, though, where I think teams have kind of figured that out. So what teams are doing is they're lifting that guy out of the corner. They're putting him more in on-ball screen actions, and then you can't just sit right you can't just hang out and roam the baseline so so teams have figured out some counters now i'm gonna flip it here because i think we have a tendency to pick things apart and i want to be positive so i'm going to say two things on the positive front especially as it relates to the season and this game as a whole on the season 
the Celtics are still the fourth ranked defensive team in the NBA. I know that seems weird because they're letting up more points. They're letting up more points per 100 possessions, but everybody is like, that's just the reality of the NBA right now. No one's going to be anywhere close to a defensive rating of a hundred or less. That's just not what the league is today. So, so that's one thing reframe, right? Because I hear and see all the time, people are like, what happened to the defense? Well, adjusted for relative to the rest of the league, it's still pretty good. Like it's just, you know, the league is for whatever reason, this season has exploded into this, you know, best offensive season we've ever seen across the board in the NBA as far as scoring goes. So that's the one thing with the defense. I think they can still get it done. I just don't know that we're ever going to see it. I shouldn't say ever just, I don't know that this year we're going to see it get back to what it was last year on any sort of regular basis. Now this game in particular, the single Biggest thing I was encouraged with was they had they had that big lead going into the fourth quarter. We know that's, as you made the point, Bob Rathburn said, well, they're going to give you a run. Missoula tried to steal a little bit of time to start the fourth quarter with Tatum and Brown both on the bench because Tatum was in foul trouble and it was just Brown had already gone whole, whole of uh, Q3. That lasted all of a minute and a half. And then he was like, nope, get out back out there, Tatum. And Tatum for portions of the next about five minutes played kind of Olay defense and just kind of was hanging around out there. Cause he didn't want to pick up uh, any more fouls. And then they kind of, the Hawks kind of got into it, but Celtics had a lead. And then the Celtics kind of did what they always do, which was we're going to kind of coast here. And that happened with about seven, eight minutes to go. Then I think with right around four ish minutes, Boston was like, crap, we're in a game. And they did turn it back on for a change. They were able to lock back in. Defensively, they couldn't really, they never really got the, the Hawks back kind of under control. But offensively, they started executing at a very high level, making a bunch of plays. And it was really, really good to see because that's something we have not seen, especially over the last couple of months. It's when it's off, it's off and it goes and you hope the clock runs out, right? You're no longer even watching the score. Other than, are they up by at least a point? Great. Please run faster. Please clock run out on this because that's all we need, right? And now we're in a position where it was good to see them come back out and then execute at a very high level offensively because they, I mean, they were ripping off bucket after bucket after bucket. And it was not one guy dribbles down and holds it for 15 seconds and then starts a move with eight seconds on the shot clock and launches a contested shot. It was early clock stuff running real offense and they get a lot of really good stuff out of it. So I was happy to see that adjustment uh, out of them in this game. An adjustment I pointed out and I, I like, like that is a good point because it's not something that I thought of. I was just like, Oh, they've, they've, started putting it back together it didn't like thinking of it in a way of they've turned it back on and it's that didn't really cross my mind so that's a really good perspective change for me to kind of look at it from i came away from the game with two takeaways that were po both positive uh one of them being the way they utilize sam hauser I've, I, you know they run um i think his first three came off a floppy action mm -hmm. uh then the next one straight after that was like um i think it was a ghost screen and they used him as a screener. Then they had him, the one. That was the one where he, I called that out in the takeaways on Celtics blog, where he like kind of slipped, but then flared to the elbow. And yeah. I think that might've came against Trey Young again, um, where I think Young got caught up kind of, it might not have been, I, I don't want to say that for sure, but I know Hauser's action on it was he slipped to 
just above the free throw line. Then he flared out to the wing and Tatum found him wide open. It's like a V cut, right? Like yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Then yeah. they ran him in a, a twirl action, and then he creates for Malcolm Brogdon on the weak side corner. Like I just feel like he's growing in confidence and he's doing more, more than what you'd expect from just a guy that was billed as a single skill guy, just a, a movement shooter. If I can say one other thing on him too, starting to bend the floor a little bit towards him when he's out there. You're seeing teams are just like. There's one other guy one step closer to where it is. And I think what we're going to see here probably down the stretch, probably not going to do a ton of it because they think it's something wanna, they'll want to save for the playoffs. But you're going to see things where I like to say it's window dressing plays where there's a ton of window dressing going on on one side of the floor. But that's not at all what it's about. It's about what's actually happening on the other side, right? Where it's, you know, you've got the ball handle at the top of the key and they're running Hauser through all this stuff. And it might not even be real stuff. It might just be, hey, run around these guys. And if he pops free, great. But what we're really looking to do is just attract that one extra man out of the paint. And now we're now we're off. We're off to the rim. And whether it's Brown or Tatum or White or Brogdon or even Smart, those guys can take huge advantage of that stuff. And that that's that's really, really good to see. And you just mentioned the next guy that I wanted to speak on. And I will say before we speak on Brogdon, the Celtics have done a great job of window dressing with like weak side decoy actions a lot of the season. Mm-hmm. Obviously not involving Hauser for the most part, but they're like they, when they run wide pin downs, they run them on both sides of the floor. If they run a stagger screen on one side, they're running an exit or an entry screen on the weak side. And they, they do a good job of that. So that's something I could envision them doing with Hauser is running a lot of... um. I call them decoys, but window dressing just sounds better. So they could run a lot of window <laughs> dressing plays there. I like to Jalen Brown is really good when they're when he's the guy coming off the the fake pin down. Of uh, then he's really good about making a second cut after yeah. the first guy either drives or Smart and Tatum. Often you'll see they'll be kind of the strong side, and all the stuff is happening on the weak side. And then Tatum and Brown will work a two man act, or Tatum and Smart will work a two man action. And Brown, after all the the nonsense, in relative terms, he cuts off of that. And then he finds himself open at the basket a lot. His off-ball movement, there's not enough of it, but it's gotten to be really, really good, which is why I want to see more of it. And that's how he keeps breaking away for those back cuts and how he finds himself. And his angling on pass reception has been fantastic this year. Big time. He's learned how to get himself open. Yeah. yeah, and he he uses his hips really well. Like if he's got a guy on his hip, he'll kind of like bump himself in front and then sit back into them just to give him that extra inch of space. I think too, not everything with Jalen anymore is a hundred miles per hour. Yeah. Right now, he's like, all right, I, this is a good play to go sixty, right? Because I've got the guy on my back. I don't need to. If I go too fast, there's going to be help is going to be there or something that that shouldn't be there. Let me let, especially with Horford, he's really good of. All right, let me delay, whether it's you know an on-ball play, a drive, or whatever. Let me delay long enough to let Horford pull his man away. Then I'm going to go. Where it used to be, catch it, head down, I'm 100 miles per hour as strong as I can to the basket, and maybe I'll slow down right at the end. Now it's he he really does a good job varying his speeds. And that's just, you know, he's a veteran now. He knows how to play, you know, on and off the ball more and, yeah, that's that's his patience is his single biggest improved skill that he has made since he's come into the NBA. People will say it's a shot and all that stuff. And I'm not going to say he hasn't improved in a lot of other ways, but his patience has just been such a great improvement to see. 
And that's like, that's how you know someone's a veteran because it's not a physical attribute that's improved. It's not a skill point. It, it's the mental aspect of the game. A lot of people call it processing, processing speed or mm-hmm. however you want to define it. I agree. I think he, he does set teams up more. Now you're talking about speed and playing at 60% and a guy we spoke about on the last episode, which I don't, as you said, if you want to spit here, that discussion, you can go back, uh, is Brogdon. And I think that in this game, I'm in my notebook. One of the things I wrote after the first um, the first half was um, he's just controlling the pace of the game when he's out there. He really dictates the tempo. And when you do that on offense, you kind of dictate the tempo that the other team plays at as well because they want to try and get those points back, especially a young team or a team that's trying to play for some some form of qualification into the postseason. They're going to want to get points back quickly. Brogdon's just really good at reading what's going on around him, understanding the clock, and then deciding, right, I'm going to attack straight off the catch, or I'm going to dribble the air out the ball for an extra three or four seconds because mm-hmm. we're in a good spot and there's a time we know there's a timeout coming or we know the quarter's winding down. I just think his control over the actual tempo of the game was really, really enjoyable against Atlanta. Yeah, I, I wrote in the takeaways, there was a play. He caught it in the corner with like five seconds left. And a lot of guys, that shot's going up instantly. He took his time. He took a bunch of dribbles, and then he got himself into the lane. And I wrote, just like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, you know, a wizard is never late, right? He arrives precisely when he's meant to. And that's what it reminds me of in Malcolm Brogdon. Like, it's just, he's never, he, it's, he arrives precisely when he means to. It's not going to be always fast. It's not going to be always slow, but he's really, really good. At, I like to call it playing with personal pace. He plays with great personal pace. He's never rushed, uh, but he always seems to have a really good sense of where the clock is at. It knows, all right, I've got enough time for an extra dribble. There's times watching the games where I'm like, would you, get it up on the rim. Like, what are you doing? But he, he's on it, man. So it's, it's, it's hard to find fall with And You know, it was nice to see too, because he had a bad shooting game last time out. And this time around, he, you know, really just knocking down his jumper again and getting to the basket pretty much at will. And, and those are the things and like not to transition already into the Rockets game being played on Monday or today as we record this, but those are the types of teams with a bad offense where you you should be able to over or bad defenses teams, you should be able to overpower them with your offense. Like in the Celtics should be good enough at this point to even if they're not fully locked in defensively to overpower those teams um offensively and get basically what they want. And a big part of that is Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, he's been fantastic. And it was just to control, just the control over the actual pace and tempo of the game and how you saw that kind of ebb and flow with the way he went on offense when he was on the floor. I just found that really enjoyable to watch it. And it just, in my head, I'm like, this is exactly what everybody said Boston needed at the end of last season's playoffs. And it's taken some time for him to kind of bed in and get that sort of impact and like respect from other teams because he's been consistent this year. And now, now he does really dictate things once he comes off the bench. Another guy that's coming off the bench. Can, can I say one more thing on Brogdon yeah, too? I think Marcus, or Mar- I'm sorry, I was reading something about Marcus Smart. Zach Lowe called it out really good the other day where he said, you know, everybody wants, you know, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. And he said, sometimes an offense is best when there's variance in it. And Brogdon is Boston's guy who he might catch, he might jab step, he might survey a little bit. Then he just kind of goes about doing his thing. And that's fine. As long as it's, 
as long as it's not forced and it's all within the flow in general flow. And it's a lot of times those are the ones where it's coming with only one of Tatum or Brown on the floor with him. It's when he's out there with both of them, you see he's more focused on keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. When he's out there with only one, it's a lot more of, all right, I'm going to, you know, if, 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 if this is what it calls for right now, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take my time and I'm going to go. And you've got to be fine with that because he does it in a way that's nothing's forced. As you said, it's personal, it's personal pace. Nothing's forced at all. Yep. Another guy that's getting minutes off the bench at the moment that's earning similar reviews to Bragdon, but obviously on a bit of a smaller scale, is Blake <laughs> Griffin. Uh, I call him Griffin for the vibes because I, every time he touches the court, it's just a fun time. Like he, Everything he's doing, he's doing the little things for the team. He's playing team basketball right now. And it makes me think back to Dylan Brooks uh, last week where Dylan Brooks was like, who do you want us to go sign, Carmelo Anthony or so-and-so? Because th- those guys are just trying to get back in their le- in the league. They're not trying to be a veteran on the team and play the role that comes with being a veteran. And while I disagreed with name-checking people in that discussion, because, you know, it might be true, but it's just not nice to air people out for no reason, um, Blake Griffin is exactly the type of guy that Dylan Brooks was talking about, a veteran that's came in, just willing to play a role, be a bit of a mentor to some of the younger guys, help fill gaps where necessary. And now he's getting his reward, and I understand it's coming at the expense of somebody else, and we can talk about that in a moment before we look ahead. But I just want to get your thoughts on, is this Joe Mazzula sending a message somehow, or is this Blake Griffin as earned that role? All right, couldn't get, a, get the mute button off. Um <laughs> I think it's probably a little bit of both. I, I think it is sending a message to maybe a couple of the other guys of not, I, I don't want to say if you're not ready to play, because I think they're always ready to play. But if you're not producing, Blake Griffin has produced almost every time he's got minutes. Now, there's only probably 15 minutes a night in there of good minutes out of Blake Griffin at this point in his career. And that's fine. You know, so I think it is, hey, I'm not. Just because you were on the floor in this one, signaling out Graham Williams a little bit, um, just because you were on the floor late in big games last season for us, doesn't mean you're going to me this year. It's a different year. And if you don't have it, I'm going to go to Blake Griffin. I want to address the thing with Grant here because I just singled him out is Grant is not, there's no sense. And I talked to a lot of people around this team there's no sense that there's any kind of locker room problems, no problems with Grant and the coaching staff, none of that stuff. The elbow injury is real, and I think it's worse than anybody has let on. I think they're talking about it now, but I think it is. It's not going to keep him from playing, but I think it has affected him um, quite a bit on both ends of the floor. Um, and also, I think his confidence has been down a little bit. I, I, I think he's had some struggles, and this is taking the free throw misses out of it. I, I think... He's passed up shots, oddly, that like we've never seen pass up before. But I think we need to remember, this is a guy a year ago who took, what did he take, 19 threes or whatever it was in a game seven? And, you know, just kept letting them fly because it was, I'm open, I'm going to keep shooting them. And he made seven of them. And it was huge and helped lift them to to the, the conference finals. So I just, with, with the combination of all the backup bigs, I think Missoula is searching right now for what, 
works like like well what can i find that works and i think for this moment much like it was it was luke cornett for a while earlier in the season like we had even i think you and i whether it was on our slack or just in general we'd had conversations of might not need another big if cornett can be this guy well he, he isn't right and he's not he's a fourth fifth big and a depth guy and that's fine but Right now, it's Blake Griffin, right? And he's going with Griffin, and I think he likes Griffin moves the ball. He's out there taking charges. He gets everybody fired up when he's out there, you know, doing his thing. So I, I think that's just where we're at for the moment, right? It's it's Blake today, but we have not heard the last of Grant. Grant's going to be a big part of this team moving forward. He's going to have big moments coming forward. I, I have no doubt about that. And I think we haven't heard the last of Muscala or Cornette either. Right, those guys will have a moment at some point where they will go to them. And I also think, just to kind of close the loop on this, he's playing Blake in situations where it makes sense to play small, right? To play with one big, and I think he's just more trusting with Blake as the lone big than he is with Grant, Cornette, or Muscala as the lone big. And I, I get it, right? It kind of makes sense why you'd be a little bit more trusting with Blake because he can do a lot of the same things you ask Al Horford to do, whether it's come up to the level of the ball, recover back to the restricted area, whatever it is, he can do a lot of those different things. Yeah, I think a lot of people remember Blake as just being this like incredible athlete, but mm-hmm. he was also one of the best passing bigs all the way through his career. Yeah. And that's something that I think often gets overlooked. Uh, even now when you see him driving the lane, it doesn't happen very often, but there's a play or two a game where he'll cut through the lane, get the ball, and everybody's waiting for a dunk. But the realistic thing is he's just as capable of redirecting that rock back out to the perimeter with a great pass as what he is finishing with a jam. And I'm obviously that's not meaning much when he's this age and he's not jamming more than once or twice a season. But <laughs> yeah, you know, he's very capable. But it's almost even more that. more fun because uh when they come now, now everybody loses their absolute mind. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I I I, I like it. I think Blake is the new not not to the same like unconditional rabid nonsensical fandom, but the the fan base loves Blake in a very similar way to what they did Taco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just for his the production on the court versus <laughs> yeah. the sideshow quality. Oh, and then, Taco, and that's you know, and Taco is you know, I I mean I watched Taco for four years at UCF. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. Like I I love that guy. But yeah, people liked him because it was people also liked him because it was hey if Taco's getting in the game, we have the game won. <laughs> right. So there's yeah. a celebratory, you know, part of that too. But yeah, he's a you know good guy. He's had a nice year this year actually Taco has overseas. Where is he? Uh, I'm going to look it up just so I don't say the, the wrong thing. Um, let's see. He was in China this year. Uh, 26 games he played. Um, playing time rules are weird in, in China for non-Chinese um, national players, but 14 points per game, 10 rebounds, three blocks in 26 minutes per game. That's exactly what you'd expect from Taco in China. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh... I mean, Taco's going to carve out a really nice career now he hasn't played in almost two months i don't know what's going on with that i'm assuming some form of injury has happened um and he's no longer with the team he was with but he put, put together a pretty pretty strong year and this was always my issue when the celtics moved for uh 
What's his name? He was on the team earlier this year, and for some reason, my mind's gone blank. Big man. Vanley, no Vanley. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I was like, dude, you were pedestrian in China last season, so like, it just made no sense to me. Yeah. Looking yeah. forward, we've got the Rockets and the Timberwolves. Rockets on Monday, the day we're recording. You might be listening to this on Monday. You might be listening to it on Tuesday. Who knows? And then after that, you've got the Timberwolves, which is one of the more talented teams the Celtics are going to face on this six-game road trip arguably maybe the most talented maybe not how are you feeling coming into these games should be the rockets game unequivocally should be a win it is not enough to just show up and play we've seen that time and time again with this celtics team they're they're not quite at that level but if they play even remotely well they should be able to win this rockets can't stop anybody so as long as you aren't throwing the ball all over the gym you're gonna score points on them Lock in just long enough defensively, you should be fine. I will say Jabari Smith uh, really starting to play pretty well uh, for for Houston. He's really put together a string of pretty good games. Their guards are tough. Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, if they get untracked, you're going to be in a game you're not expecting yourselves to be in, but should be a win. The Minnesota game, different story, right? We're leaning towards this could maybe possibly be where Carl Anthony Towns returns. I don't know that that's going to happen or not, but we're getting close to that. It's probably going to be that that's going to come any day now. And it's going to be, Hey, cat's going to play tonight. And then that'll be what it is. Um, but that team is, they've really figured some stuff out uh, really over the last, let's call it month, month and a half. Um, I think they're playing a little bit better than people thought. They're still 500 in that mess in the Western Conference where, you know, feels like somehow there's 87 teams that are all tied for, you know, right around a 500 record. Um, but it's, but they, they've, they've been playing pretty good defense. I think they've really figured out, let's get everything funneled to Gobert. And then Anthony Edwards can, almost beat you by himself if you don't kind of keep him under wraps. And then adding Mike Conley, it's just that stability piece to that offense where he's just kind of a calming presence. He gets things start going sideways. Generally the ball finds Conley, gets everybody settled down. He gets everybody enough touches and those kind of things. So that's going to be a dangerous one, but can't overlook Houston just because you're focused on Minnesota. Can't overlook either one of them really. The Celtics aren't that good that they can just show up and beat any team. So should should be chance at two wins, but but definitely get a win in the Houston game. Trip would be off to a two and zero start, and then you you really move them forward from there. And both are coming with their own set of challenges, right? Like if you look at Jaden, everybody knows I'm a Jaden Green guy. If you but if you're looking at Jaden Green and Kevin Porter Jr. Those type of guards are the ones that we've spoke about being difficult for Boston to contain on the perimeter. As you said, if they get going, it's going to be a difficult night, but they just don't have the defense to back up. Whatever they put on the board, they're going to allow on the other end. It'll be a fun game. I think that the one thing the Celtics really need to watch out for is Houston trying to speed them up. If Houston find a way to speed up what the Celtics are doing on offense, well, we've seen how that can go, where their timing on their shots get up, gets off. They start moving away from some of their screening actions. They just look to get the ball up and then shoot or just pressure the rim with kind of little to no help from others. So that that's the only trap that I'd see there. I'm not saying this is a trap game, but there's definitely elements of what traps they can fall into. Yeah, I think oddly enough, we think, I know at least I still do, I think young teams, I tend to think they play very fast. The Rockets are about middle of the, the, the pack and pace um, this season, but they can play very fast. Now, 
sometimes any Rockets fan will tell you that comes with if you're sitting within 20 rows of the court, you better have your head on a swivel because it might be a ball headed towards your face just as likely as it is into the hoop because um, they, they do like to throw the ball around the gym. Uh, you know, it, it gets messy. But, yeah, I mean, this is one where I don't think Boston should have much trouble scoring. They just can't settle. You know, just keep working, run your stuff, get in your stuff, get in your stuff quickly, you know, work against non-set defenses, and they should be pretty good. And then, you know, defensively, yeah, it's this is a good test for Smart and White and Brogdon. And yeah. I would say Peyton Pritchard, but he's already been ruled out to kind of, can you, can you keep those Rockets guards under wraps? And then for Tatum and Brown, you're gonna have to match up with Jabari Smith, you know, and you're gonna have to play, play, play on him now. You can't, you can't play off him. You, you got to go. The last thing, and what worries me is, is Boston gonna have the energy and the uh, willingness, desire, whatever it is, to box guys out because you can't let this Rockets team get second shots on you because they will send extra guys to the offensive glass. Tari Eason plays with a ton of energy. KJ Martin plays with a ton of energy. You just can't have that happen because they will. That's a way they'll stick around in a game. They have no business being in um, is if those guys are beating guys to lose balls. So kind of show up, take care of your business and then get headed off to Minnesota. Like that's that this should be one of those business-like wins Just show up, do your thing and get, get the victory. But we'll see. And the Minnesota one for me, and I'll wrap up on this because we're pretty much hitting where we like to kind of end the show. Yep. Um, the last thing for me is Minnesota it should be a double big grind it out type of game. You need to find a way of not only dealing with the size that Minnesota throw at you, but you need to find a way of stopping Anthony Davis from getting um, Anthony Davis, Anthony Edwards <laughs> from getting any form of um, downhill actions going. You don't want to let him start getting his athleticism into play. He's also incredibly good at creating his own shot off the dribble. Some, well, in, in space. I wouldn't say he's incredibly good in no space. But in space, he's incredibly good at creating for himself as well. So I think not only do you have to contend with the size there, especially when it comes to Boston giving up offensive rebounds, and then Obviously, you have to deal with the three-point shooting and the self-creation of Anthony Edwards. So that, to me, is just a completely different battle. But if the Celtics want to start going through that iron sharpens iron, this is going to be a really good game to kind of prepare them for what's to come over the next few weeks. Yeah, no, great points with that. This is the Timberwolves in terms of talent and ability and all those things, that's a, that's a playoff matchup and like a first round type of playoff matchup that the Celtics could see not necessarily stylistically, but just in terms of the ability to beat you, if you're not playing your game at the best levels, like you're, you're going to have to be good. So yeah, this is, still this is a, yeah, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, these are the games in a road trip too where these are the ones you want to get the wins early in a road trip because then you've kind of locked into, all right, this should be a pretty good trip. And then you start feeling good. You're getting that momentum. There's After this, we'll talk about it on the next show because it'll come after these games. But there's a tough, weird back-to-back, Portland, Utah, in that order, back-to-back coming that's a little odd just because you're going to the West Coast, then back a little bit east. So that's a little bit of an odd one. But we'll get to that next next show later in this week. But, yeah, I, the Celtics have a really good chance by the time where you know, we talk next to have a little streak going and a 3-0 start to the trip. I, 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 if, if they play the way they can – they, they should be you know, three and on to start this trip here in the next couple of days. And then we won't be start, starting the show with anything critical to say. And it'll be the first time <laughs> since we started the show. Yeah, right. So, I don't know uh, about all that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, 
Well, I mean, today we started, we talk a Bigfoot, so it's not like we were all negative. That's it. True. Good point. <laughs> oh, hey, last thing we did just to, to cover it, because just so everybody knows, we did see it. Looks like the Celtics are going to lose Damon Stoudemire uh, from the bench. He's been Joe Missoula's essentially his lead assistant uh, uh, since Missoula took over. He even coached a couple games uh, while Missoula was out after he you know, scratched the uh, it's like scratched corneas, I think it was, when uh, playing pickup, which how that happens to both your eyes in a pickup game, I don't really know. Uh, maybe they're playing with those big cats you guys have wandering around. Who's uh, playing against the Aaron Fox? That's what they're calling it. Must be it, yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, big loss for the Celtics to lose Damon Stoudemire. Yes, he will likely go right away. That's generally how it works when a guy leaves for a college head coaching job because they've got to do transfers and recruiting and all that other stuff um, with that. So I would not expect any hires from the Celtics necessarily to fill. They'll probably bump everybody up one seat and just kind of go from there. But but big loss for, for the Celtics staff. And even without the Ime Udoka stuff, this is this staff is starting to get depleted. That's what happens when you have good coaches on staff. But you had Will Hardy, Missoula probably was going to get a head coach job somewhere at some point here. Now Stoudemire um, with, with that. Um, so yeah, so a lot, a lot of talent drain out of the coaching staff here uh, over the last couple of years. But kind of kind of that's the name of the game, right? You just like you do with players, you, you develop coaches and wish them well as they move on to the next thing. So it'll be Ben Sullivan most likely taking that first assistant coach yeah i would guess um you know it, it's it's always hard to know um with yeah that. so you know, but yeah that, that, would, that would be my guess and shout out to uh micah shrewsbury uh former celtics assistant got penn state into the ncaa tournament which is is a you know, pr- pretty good accomplishment they're they're not a lock to be attorney team every year and he's done a really nice job coaching that team and if i remember correctly he was assistant under brad stevens yep. during his earlier years right yep. when, absolutely yeah. Okay, everybody. So, look, I'll say the same thing as what Keith did. Um, to start, I just want to wish congratulations to Stadamire if he does get the gig. We'll be back on Thursday or Friday. I mean, time difference has made things a little bit more difficult uh, because your clock's changed two weeks before mine do. So, you know, we just have to kind of roll with the punches. But until next time, enjoy some Celtics basketball, and we'll catch you soon.